All right, please turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Your worship folder says we're going to read verses 5 through 11. We're actually going to get a running start on that. Um, I tacked on the first four verses of the chapter as well. So we're going to read Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11. And I hope that gives us kind of a, a better grasp on what Paul is writing about here. So as we read this, it'll be projected up here also, but I think it's best if you have it in front of you. As we read this, let's consider that this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to a congregation in Philippi which had just gone through a bunch of conflict. The congregation together had gone through some kind of conflict and they had lost their sense of unity. I don't know if it was a global pandemic and a contentious presidential election that caused the conflict. Probably not. They had their own story. Um, But they had gone through something together as a community. And so this was Paul's letter to this congregation in response to their conflict, asking them to find their unity in Christ. So let's keep that in mind as we read Philippians 2, uh, first 11 verses. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, If any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests but to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. So something was eating away at the unity in the Philippian church. Something had gotten between these folks. They were talking straight past each other. They had run out of compassion for one another. And in verse 3, if your Bibles are still open, uh, Paul gives something of a diagnosis of what went wrong for them. So uh, take a look at verse 3. He says, Do nothing out of two things. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition is a pretty straightforward idea. We all know what selfish ambition is. Selfish ambition is, is looking to further your own agenda for your own sake, right? 
not considering other people, not considering the needs of other people or the experiences of other people, that, uh, uh, that going, going straight forward ahead for yourself, that's selfish ambition. And then there's this other thing, which is translated vain conceit. What on earth is vain conceit? In the Greek text, it's a single word. And the word is kinodoxia. Kinodoxia. Kino means empty. Doxia means glory. So kinodoxia means to be glory empty. To be glory empty. What a fascinating term that is. To be glory empty. Have you ever felt glory empty? I guarantee you have. If you felt glory empty, that means that you have a bucket where you normally keep your glory, where you normally keep your significance and your purpose and your power. You have a bucket where you normally keep your glory, but then suddenly you realize that the bucket is empty. Uh-oh. Your significance suddenly feels threatened. Your conviction and your purpose suddenly feel up in the air. You start to get anxious. You start to get anxious and you realize that you don't have the ability to control your own life. You don't have the ability to control even the narrative around your own life. And Paul says, do nothing out of your feeling of glory emptiness. Don't act out of that place. Because what happens when we act out of our glory emptiness, what happens when we act out of our insecurities? We make bad choices. We make bad plans. We get desperate. We let our insecurities tell us what to do. Paul says, do nothing out of your glory emptiness. The best example of doing something out of glory emptiness is the first example. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. These were two people who had a beautiful, intimate, face-to-face, person-to-person relationship with God. God affirmed them, and He loved them, and He was with them, and He told them on a daily basis exactly who they were and exactly what they were created to be, and He told them that they were those people. And yet, when the serpent comes along and He offers them this fruit, they took it. Because they were acting out of their kinodoxia. They were acting out of their glory emptiness. The serpent said to them, he said, you know God is more powerful than you, right? He said, you want to be like God, don't you? And suddenly they looked in their buckets and they were empty. Adam and Eve Our our spiritual parents were glory insecure. Do you see the family resemblance? It's so human, right? It's so human 
to feel glory empty, to feel glory insecure. Uh, very often, we, when we sense that someone else has more glory than us, we will try to find ways, even subconsciously, even like without thinking about it, we will try to find ways to take their glory from them. Think about it. Think about the last time that you found yourself being overly critical of someone else. Overly critical of someone else. Why do you think you did that? The last time you were overly critical of someone else, were you okay with who you were? I bet not. That's not how my heart works. He shouldn't talk like that. Is that about him or me? She shouldn't dress like that. Is that about her or me? People shouldn't think that way. Is that about them or me? We're glory insecure. We feel glory empty. We're measuring our buckets. We're measuring our perceived glory against others. And we do this all the time. We do this all the time. Where do you think bullies come from? They're glory insecure. Where do you think gangs come from? They're glory insecure. Where do you think country clubs come from? They're glory insecure. Where do you think political parties come from? Where do you think ISIS comes from? Where do you think racism comes from? Where do you think subconscious implicit bias, which we all have, comes from? We're glory insecure. We feel glory empty. You go down, I go up, okay? If I can knock you down a peg or two, even if, in, even if it's just in my own mind, it makes me seem a little bit better by comparison. That's what, this is why we get critical of other people, especially other people who are, who are different from us and who have different ideas from us. If you go down, then I go up a little bit. If I can, if I can uh, make a case that you're a little further down here, it makes me feel a little bit further up here by comparison. You go down, I go up. We did this in our politics last year. We did this. We did this in our COVID disagreements. We did this over important social conversations this past year. We did this in our homes with the people that we love the most. We all, very often, will have something to say about a situation, but very, very infrequently are we willing to set aside our agenda and to ignore the uh, emptiness of our own glory buckets in order to listen and attend to someone else's experience. That is like climbing Everest for the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Why? We feel threatened by other people, right? 
We feel glory empty. We feel glory insecure because someone else's ideas might threaten my ideas and might prove my ideas to be imperfect, and so my insecurities will show. So I better dig in my heels and I better make my own case and I better fight tooth and nail and win the argument. (laughs) Paul says, warning, warning, do nothing out of glory emptiness. It will tear you apart. And here's why he says that. Glory emptiness is a lie. It's a dirty, rotten, stinking lie. It doesn't exist. Glory emptiness is the psychological, spiritual boogeyman that we believe is under our beds. We might be scared of it, but there's actually, in reality, nothing there. Folks, brothers and sisters, we're not glory empty, we're glory full. We're glory full. We're glory rich. We are glory supersaturated. We are like glory billionaires who fear that we won't have enough left for retirement. (laughs) That's who we are. From from, uh, uh, the moment that we are knit together in our mother's wombs, through eternity with our Savior, we lack nothing when it comes to glory. We are endowed with glory by our Creator. And, and, and this is what's so frustrating about Adam and Eve, right? About our spiritual parents, is that they bought into this lie. They believed the lie. They believed something about themselves that just wasn't true. They had this beautiful intimate, face-to-face relationship with God, God affirmed them, and he loved them, and he told them that they were exactly who they were created to be. But then when, they were, when, when the serpent came around the other side and they were presented with this possibility that they might be glory insufficient, they freaked out. <laughs> they lost it. They lost everything that they knew, and they believed it, and it sealed their fate. They looked into their glory buckets, which were running over, and they perceived them to be empty. Friends, you and I don't have to continue to make that same mistake. Because there has been a cosmic shift in our favor. Let me show it to you in our text. Okay, so take a look again. As we said... Verse verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing out of your glory emptiness. Warning, warning. Do nothing out of your glory emptiness. And then beginning in verse 5, we start to see the remedy to this. And the remedy is this. Paul says, Instead, in your relationships, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he, here's the thing, rather he made himself nothing. Literally, in the Greek text, it says he emptied himself. The same word, 
from back in verse 3. The same root Greek word, kenosis. He emptied himself. We feel glory empty. We perceive ourselves incorrectly to be glory empty. Christ, seeing this, emptied himself of his glory for us. Whoa. Life-changing stuff. Let me draw two things very quickly, two things out that we can take away from this. Number one, all of the glory that Christ had in himself, he has poured out into us. So that even our spiritual parents, even Adam and Eve before the fall, they did not know the kind of glory that you and I are walking around with. The glory that you and I are walking around with, which is poured directly into us from Christ, Adam and Eve didn't even know a whisper of that kind of thing. We are glory rich. We are glory super saturated. We might feel glory insecure. We might believe occasionally the lies of the serpent. We might feel glory empty. We might fear the glory boogeyman who is under our bed, but Jesus has tucked us in and he has assured us there's nothing under the bed. He's looked. We're safe. We are glory rich. And then number two, You see how strange Jesus is in the way that he uses his glory? It's so strange. His glory moves in the opposite direction. His glory flows downhill. Whereas you and I, right, we try to accumulate more and more glory because we're glory insecure and we're, we're trying to build to something. We're trying to ascend to something. Jesus pours his out. Whereas we become self-protective of our glory, fearing that we might run out, Jesus empties himself of his glory knowing that the, the source is actually eternal and abundant and will never run out. Whereas we have the habit of putting others down so that we might go up, Jesus empties himself so that we might be filled. Here's my point. We're using our glory wrong. <laughs> We're using our glory wrong. It's like we grab the toothbrush by the wrong end. It's like, no, turn it around. It doesn't go that way. We're using our glory wrong. The glory of Christ isn't meant to take us upward into a life of self-protection and of uh, 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 security and prosperity. The life of glory is meant to take us down the path that Jesus took toward the pain, toward the brokenness, toward the humility, we're using our glory wrong. This week, we get to see the Christ at his most glorious. 
We're using our glory wrong. And out of his glory comes our glory to walk with him step by step. Where will we go with the glory that Christ has emptied into us? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we humbly um, and with some trepidation will walk behind you this week carrying our own cross. Of course, Jesus, you will do what we could never do ourselves. But as your disciples, keep us as close to you as we can be. Help us to see the backward, beautiful way which you loved this world into glory. Show us how the weak are strong, how the poor are rich, and how the Messiah is crucified. Teach us to be people of your gospel, people of your backward glory, so that we might truly know the greatest glories in this world. In your name we pray. Amen.